And I want to commend each one of you for being in the Lord's house on one of the most wintry days of the season. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for each person gathered here today to worship you. Please turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. And as you're turning, I want to tell you something that one of our ladies told me. In the last message that I presented from the book of Daniel, I spoke of how I wish, I wish that we would each have a heart of honesty. That was one of the points, the first point, in fact. I wish that we would have a heart of honesty. And uh, we uncovered that truth from Daniel here. But what was interesting was, and I'm not sure if she's present here today in this service, but what was interesting was after that morning service, one of our dear ladies on her way out said to me, Pastor, I think you might appreciate this little story uh, in light of what you spoke about in your message about honesty. So she said to me, she said, when she was a little girl, when she was a little girl, sometimes when the phone would ring, the phone would ring, her mom would say, tell them I'm not here. When the little girl would pick up the phone, before she picked it up, of course, her mother would say, tell them mommy's not here. So on, on one occasion, this little daughter picked up the phone and said, hello. They asked for mom, and she, she said, my mommy told me to tell you that she's not here. <laughs> and after she hung up, her mom said, well, well why, why, did you, uh, why did you tell her that I told you to tell her that I'm not here? Well, mommy, that's what you told me to say, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, uh, the sweet innocence of children is just very... Very heartwarming, isn't it? Right? Okay. Well, we continue on in our series from Daniel, entitled, What I Wish For You, Part 3 today. What I Wish For You, and welcome to our radio listeners and internet listeners. In Daniel chapter 6, we read the following. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. Whenever I read that, 
When I read that, it bothers me. It bothers me because they were manipulating him, right? They're manipulating him. Verse 7. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone divine or human, except to you, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he sent home, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Verse 13. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of the predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your Majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles, so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. He deserved not to be able to sleep. Verse 19. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you served so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. May God, my God, send his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Amen? What a powerful account 
of uh, this portion of Daniel's life. My friends, as I reflect and think upon what we have just read, the first truth I want to bring to your attention is this. What I wish for you is this. Number one, read it from the big screen with me. Be careful to not allow attacks on your faith to scare you away from following, loving, and serving the Lord. Amen? Be careful not to allow attacks on your faith to scare you away from him. This truth came to my mind from verse 10. If you look at it in your Bible or we can look at it together on the screen, let's read it in unison, shall we? But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Now notice the first part of verse 10, which says, but Daniel learned that the law had been signed. Now that tells us that Daniel knew that for the next 30 days, everyone was supposed to pray only to King Darius and to no other human being, nor to any other god. That was the crazy law that was instituted. Daniel also knew that according, that, uh, according to the new law, anyone who disobeyed would be what? Would be thrown into the den of lions. By the way, at that time in history, lions roamed the countryside in that part of the world. And uh, in fact, some, some governments captured lions and used them to, sadly, to execute people. And some kings hunted them just for sport, just for sport. Daniel knew about this new terrible law, but the next part of verse 10 says, he went home and knelt down, how? As usual in his upstairs room, with its windows open toward Jerusalem, he prayed, how many times? Three times, three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. I want to make sure we understand that Daniel was not being stubborn, like some of you sometimes are stubborn. Well, not you, but maybe the person beside you. And some of you are thinking sometimes Pastor Nick is stubborn. Don't, who said that? Amen. I'll have words with you later. <laughs> Dear God, open up my mind as to who that was. <laughs> anyway, forgive him or her, Lord. <laughs> That's okay. All right? Daniel was not just being stubborn. He was not trying to be disrespectful to the law nor to the king. Daniel was simply staying on the right spiritual path. Amen? He was staying on the right spiritual path. He refused to allow an attack on his faith to scare him, to scare him from following the one and only true God. 
I ask you today, I invite you today to allow Daniel's example to inspire, to inspire you and me, to inspire us to remain faithful, faithful, faithful to your beliefs, faithful to the Lord, faithful to Jesus, even when attacks on your faith try to scare you away, try to scare you away from following and loving the Lord with all your mind, heart, soul, and spirit. Now, in our culture, in, in Canada and the USA, um, attacks on your faith, I would say, show up in different forms, different ways. Um, in Uganda, where Pastor Peter and Pastor Josephine recently came from, and I'm sure attacks on their faith have come about in, in other ways. In fact, he has told me of some of those ways. Now, here are a few examples of some forms of attack that probably a lot of us have experienced or will experience in this culture. For those of you making notes, it's A, this initial truth here. There is the direct attack on your faith, for example. The direct attack. This is when, this is when for instance, an atheist or an agnostic at work or school or, or someone in your own family says to you something like, you know, why, why in the world do you believe in God? Um, why do you believe in him? There, there is no God. You know, you're, you're, you're silly. You're silly to believe in this Jesus who, who was God in the flesh. Uh, why, someone might say, why are you so dumb to believe? Why do you waste your time? Why do you waste your time going to church Sunday mornings, evenings, and other times? Why, why, why do you waste your time giving donations to your church? And so sometimes you might experience what I might call a, a direct attack. When you face a direct attack on your faith like that, here is my suggestion to you. Try, try not to get into an argument. People are usually not won over by arguments. They're not, and you're not, all right? Just say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you don't believe. I just want you to know that God loves you and God loves your family. Just say to them, you know, there's a Bible verse that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you, you might just say, I hope that someday you too will come to faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And don't argue, and don't argue. So some, sometimes you might have to wrestle with what I'm calling the direct attack. The, then point B is an indirect attack on your faith, such as unanswered prayer, unanswered prayer. It's possible for you and for me to, to pray for days and weeks and months and years about something and still not receive an answer from God. It's probably happened to a lot of us here. 
in a situation like that, it's easy. It's easy for you to say, either God's not listening and he doesn't care, or there is no God. It's easy for you to say that. And what appears to be unanswered prayer can cause some people to doubt their faith and to kind of wander away from the Lord. Please, be careful not to allow an indirect attack on your faith, like unanswered prayer, to scare you away from loving and following our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Some of you here can give examples. You could testify of how, how you prayed about a specific issue, situation, for, for not only months, but for years. And your prayer wasn't answered, but then for some reason, years down the road, your prayer was answered. Why it took so long, I don't know, and you don't know. But those are cases where you and I have to do, as the, song, the songwriter says, trust and obey, for there is no other way. Amen? Amen? Here's another potential attack on, on your faith. Here's another Example, point C, severe disappointments, severe disappointments. What might these be? Well, it could be prolonged illness, loss of a job that you really needed. It could be ongoing financial problems or a serious car accident. It could be mistreatment by someone. It might be separation or divorce. Or it could be death of a family member, especially if it happens at, a, at an early age, at a young age. Sometimes a severe disappointment can be like, like an arrow. It can be like an arrow hitting you in the chest, breaking your heart, and causing you to say, why, God? Why? That, that, that was unfair. I didn't deserve that. God, do you really care? Right? Let's be honest. Right? Here's another potential attack on your faith. Point D. Unfulfilled hopes and dreams. Perhaps you've had the hope and dream of meeting and marrying the man or the woman of your dreams, and as yet it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened for whatever reasons. By the way, <laughs> By the way, have you heard uh, have you heard the following? <laughs> uh, yes, have you heard the following? <laughs> there are two times, there are two times in his life when a man doesn't understand women. There are only two times, before marriage and after marriage. <laughs> Hi, Pastor Lisa. <laughs> I, uh, I, I read that and I had to, had to share it with you somewhere, you know? All right? We're talking about unfulfilled hopes and dreams. Perhaps, you know, perhaps you have studied and trained for many years for what you, for what you consider to be the, the dream job. 
the dream job. And you are very educated, you're smart, you're gifted, but for some reason, some reason, you haven't been able to find your dream job, like Pastor Lisa found her dream job. Thank you, Pastor Lisa. My friends, in the Bible, there are several examples of couples who wanted to have a baby, but for many years couldn't. Some of you know the stories. And you might, you might be a husband or a wife longing to have a baby, and for some reason as yet, it has not happened. And I say to you, unfulfilled hopes and dreams can sometimes feel like missiles attacking your faith. Don't let them sink you. Don't let those missiles sink you. All right? Whether it is, whether it is the direct attack on your faith or an indirect attack on your faith like unanswered prayer or severe disappointments or unfulfilled hopes and dreams or something else, something else that I haven't even mentioned. My friends, be, be like Daniel and do not allow attacks on your faith to scare you away, to scare you away from following and loving and serving our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Come on now, thaw out, thaw out, thaw out. All right. All right. So, may the Lord help us as we live out this first truth. I want to take you to a second truth that stood out in my mind as I read and studied Daniel 6. Second truth is this. Be self-disciplined. Be self-disciplined. This came to my mind from the latter part of verse 10. Read it again with me. He, Daniel, prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Now obviously this verse tells us straightforwardly that Daniel prayed, prayed, and prayed. But what, what else indirectly is it telling us? It's telling us that Daniel was very disciplined. He was disciplined. Do you, do you see that? Yes? All right. What, what, by the way, is the definition of self-discipline? What, what is the definition? Um, if you were to look it up, you'll come across different definitions. But I found a definition that I think accurately explains to us what is self-discipline. Uh, self Here it is. Radio listeners, internet listeners, Here's a definition of self-discipline. Read it with me from the big screen. Self-discipline is a pattern of behavior where you choose to do what you should do rather than what you want to do. It is the assertion of willpower over more basic desires and is synonymous with self-control. Think about that. Think about it. 
Isn't that a great definition? If you were asked to define self, self-discipline, you, you'd probably scratch your head and say, well, I know what it is, but man, it's hard to explain, right? But this, this explanation, I believe, is, is so good. Self-discipline, especially that first uh, part of it, self-discipline is a pattern of behavior where you choose to do what you should do rather than what you want to do. Wow. Is discipline important in life? The truth is, if you read any books on this, the most successful people in life exert discipline on a daily basis. How disciplined? How disciplined are you? How disciplined am I? What are some areas in life where you and I need to practice self-discipline? When, when we study the life of Daniel, it, I am amazed how self-disciplined this, this man was. It's really incredible. All right? What are some areas in life where you and I need to practice this? Well, I'm just going to be able to get into a few. Anyone making notes? A, prayer. All right? We need to be disciplined in prayer. The Bible says Daniel prayed three times a day. That doesn't mean you and I must also pray three times a day, although that's a worthy goal. If you are not used to praying at all, start small and decide that you will, you will spend a few minutes in prayer, perhaps when you first wake up. And you say, good morning, Lord. It's a beautiful winter wonderland out there, Lord. It's going to be fun spinning my wheels in the snow, safely getting to church. Amen? You know, if you're not used to praying, you might want to start, start, you know, with just praying a little bit after you wake up, or if that's not the best time for you, you might want to pray during your lunchtime, uh, wherever you find yourself, or you, you might want to pray uh, supper time or just before bed, Okay, and then once, once you get into the habit of praying, even once a day, then, then choose, choose to pray twice a day and find another suitable time. And there, there, there might be and there will be times when you feel the need to pray not only three times a day, you may feel the need to pray ten times a day. If I ask the question, how many of you had times when, hey, you sure prayed 10 and 15 and 20 times a day? Yes, yes, indeed. In times of desperation, I'm sure you did that, right? If you are not accustomed, if you're not accustomed or used to any, any um, or coming to any group prayer time at church, decide, for instance, decide to come to our prayer and fasting time held on the first Saturday of each month uh, from 9 a.m. to 12 noon. The first time you come, perhaps you might stay for 30 minutes. The next month, 
You might want to try and stay and pray for 60 minutes during that three-hour segment of time. Or you might not be able to pray for the full three hours because uh, perhaps you have a child, you have a child that you have to take to swimming lessons or music lessons or some other responsibility, but at least, at least once a month you spend 30 to 60 minutes in prayer with other believers here at the church who love the Lord and love you and have a wonderful time praying together. Those of you who come to those Saturday morning prayer meetings, do I have an amen? Right. In addition to having, having a time when you pray at least once a day, use a devotional booklet or book which will tell you to, for instance, read a particular Bible passage and will give you some encouraging words to think about and sometimes, depending on the book, it'll encourage you to pray for a certain part of the world and for the missionaries there. And um, every three months, every three months, we make available a devotional booklet. Or, or you can find a good devotional on your phone or, or uh, on your computer. And, and um, computer specialists like Raven Mason, who is uh, doing our PowerPoint, she can help you find the very best of the best. All right? If you want to just talk to her, she knows, she knows how to maneuver all these gadgets and gidgets. Okay? Here's another area where we need to practice self-discipline. Self-discipline. Point B. Attending Sunday school and church services each Sunday. Stick with me. It takes discipline to set your alarm clock, to set your alarm clock to get up every Sunday morning to be in the Lord's house, especially when the weather's bad. It takes discipline to say, it's raining outside or it's snowing outside, the wind is bad outside, it's freezing outside, but Sunday morning, Sunday morning is God's time and I will get my kids and my youth ready and I'll get myself ready to be in Sunday school at 9.30 and at worship at 11. Amen? Thank you. Who is that? I gotta pay you afterwards. Mind you, the last time I gave your daughter 20, I never got it back. <laughs> I'm sorry, I remember. I, I should have forgotten that. I should have forgotten that. <laughs> right? Okay. Now, also, my friends, sometimes, sometimes you will be invited. Sometimes you will be invited to a work party on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m., or your children or youth will be invited to a birthday party on Sundays at 11 or 12 noontime. It takes discipline. It takes discipline to say, thank you for inviting us. That's our regular church time. It's our regular time to worship the Lord whom we love. We'll be happy to come to the party after we worship God. By the way, that's not only discipline. That is testimony. All right? Sometimes I hear people say, oh, oh, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't come to Sunday school and church last Sunday because I had out-of-town relatives staying with us. Wow. Are you concerned 
Are you concerned that if you leave your home when your relatives are staying with you, that they are going to rob you? Or what? You didn't see that coming, did you? Right? Even, listen, even before your out-of-town guests come to stay with you, just say to them nicely, just say, you know, we're so happy to have you come, as long as you're being honest about that, of course, right? We are so happy to have you come. <laughs> you know, just, just so you know, just so you know, on Sunday morning, our family will be going to Sunday school at 9.30 a.m. and church worship at 11 a.m. as we normally do. Daniel would have said, as usual, okay? And you can say to your out-of-town guests, you can say, our pastors would love to meet you, but if you don't want to come, we'll show you where all the breakfast items are in the cupboards, in the kitchen, and we'll see you after church. We'll see you after church is over. And by the way, that's not just discipline. That's what? That's testimony. Man, I'm going to run out of money. I'm going to run out of money. <laughs> Thank you, Oswald, I think. Okay? There are, there are so many other areas of life where you and I need to practice self-discipline. Here, here are a few other areas. Let's go to point C. Eating, E-A-T-I-N-G. We have to practice discipline in this category. We have to discipline ourselves to eat healthy meals and to not overeat. And some of you are saying, and we're glad, Pastor Nick, you're talking to yourself as well, <laughs> right? I have to be honest with you. I have to be honest with you and, um, and say before anyone else says it that sometimes I overeat. That's honesty, folks, okay? For example, for example, yesterday we held the funeral service for dear Roy, the beloved husband of Princess, a wonderful father and grandfather. After the funeral service and the burial, I got back to the church around 4.30 p.m. And boy, was that cemetery freezing. Some of you who were there know what I'm talking about. So I got back to the church around 4.30, maybe it was a little bit later, for the reception. I was very hungry. The family provided a beautiful meal. The cup of soup that I started with, the cup of soup was absolutely fantastic. I'm not exaggerating. I could see it had, it had, some, it had some lovely tripe in there and some other, some other unique foods. And it, it was one of the best soups I've ever had. I would have actually asked for a bowl, but, uh, but I, as far as I knew, it was all gone or it was almost all gone. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I'm hoping I can find out who cooked it so that I could maybe try and duplicate it. Anthony, why are you laughing at me, brother? <laughs> I make very good soup, Anthony, I want you to know. But that soup, that soup was just fantastic. 
All right. So besides the soup, there, there was curry goat and jerk pork, rice and peas, and peas and rice. <laughs> there was white rice, some other kind of meat. Some of you who were there, you, afterwards you can correct me. And there were some salads. My plate was full and I didn't have room for the salads, but anyway. <laughs> so I went through the line, I went through the line and was served this lovely plate of food. I sat down to have the meal and to try to get to know the people at the table to talk with them, as I always do. When I finished my plate, when I finished my plate, by the way, I waited, I waited until everyone was served, okay? I waited until everyone was served. Then I went up to see if there was anything left for seconds, okay? I, I didn't think there would be, I didn't think there would be opportunity for seconds because there were a lot of people. There were a lot of people and I thought, oh, there might be a few scraps left, but actually there, there was quite a bit of food left, surprisingly. To my joy and surprise, um, I was able, I was able to help myself to a second serving, Jenny, of curry goat and jerk pork and peas and rice and rice and peas and whatever else I could fit on my plate, okay? It, it was lovely, it was lovely and I got filled, probably, um, probably, however, I, I should have practiced more self-control, more self-discipline and limited myself to one serving instead of the two. I kind of realized this when I went back to my table and five, five young women I had been talking with said, wow, wow, Pastor Nick, you, uh, you, can, you, you can eat a lot. <laughs> And Jenny's laughing at me there, maybe because she saw what I had. Is that why, Jenny? I don't know. You know, I, uh, I almost said, could I, could I please have a third? But, <laughs> but uh, it wasn't going to look too good, okay? So I got, I got to talking. I got to talking with a lot of the guests at my table, and I didn't get around to getting any dessert. No dessert, okay? Um, Pastor Lisa, at least you can give me some credit for the fact that I didn't get any dessert. So I disciplined myself in that way, but only because I ran out of time. <laughs> okay. So I'm just being honest here with you about the eating issue, and we ask the question, how disciplined, how disciplined are you and I in terms of our eating? Uh, how many of you here, just out of interest, how many of you are really disciplined about your eating? habits. All three of you. <laughs> no, there are a few more. There are a few more. There are a few more. Okay, that's good. All right. Okay, how disciplined? Let's go to another issue. How disciplined are we in the area of D, D, spending our money? Spending our money. Oh, 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 some of you are thinking, oh, oh, I wish you hadn't got to this one, Pastor Nick. I've observed over the years that usually when a person or a family develops financial problems, usually, there are always exceptions, usually it isn't on account of not earning enough money. Usually it is on account of spending 
too much money on unnecessary, unnecessary things. It looks like some of you have had experience in this department. Okay. Uh, a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, l late one evening, I turned on the TV before going to bed, and I came across a program that I'd never seen before, and I don't know if this is a regular series, if it's a regular program or, or what, but I, I think it was called Life or Debt, D-E-B-T, Life or Debt. Have any of you ever seen this? It sounds like some of you have. Okay. Well, the program, the program was about a financial expert who was asked by a family in the United States to help them with their financial picture. The situation was they were, I think it was five or six months, five or six months behind on their home mortgage payments. And quite frankly, I was surprised the bank still hadn't taken their house. I was glad they hadn't. But they were, I think, five or six months behind, and the financial institution was threatening to take their house to do what they call foreclosure unless they paid a certain amount by whatever date. Now, what really intrigued me, what really intrigued me was the couple told the financial expert that together, together, the man and the woman earned about 150,000 per year, which is a lot, right? They earned 150,000 combined per year. Listen to this. Their mortgage payment, their mortgage payment was about $1,200 per month, 1,200, which nowadays is obviously a very reasonable monthly mortgage payment. Many families have told me in recent, in recent months that they pay 1,000 or 1,200 for a basement apartment. They pay 1,500 for a one or two bedroom, uh, three, four story, five story building, right? And um, so especially to pay $1,200 a month per month uh, and earn $150,000 a year, I thought, what in the world's going on here? And they're having financial problems. Uh, they're behind on their mortgage. Um, I thought, this doesn't make sense. I was very intrigued to find out what happened here. As the financial expert tried to figure things out, he discovered, he's discovered that in addition to the car the husband was driving, the woman was driving a luxury vehicle. I, I think it was a Land Rover which was costing them, the lady said, which was costing them a monthly payment of $750 per month. $750. The financial expert said to them, why, why do you have an expensive luxury vehicle like that when you can't even afford to pay your mortgage? You and your kids are gonna be on the street and you're paying $750 plus insurance, of course, for this beautiful vehicle. Well, he convinced them to sell it, but he really had to do convincing. He convinced them to sell it, and then as I watched, as I watched the financial expert go through all of their expenses with them, I thought it was ridiculous, ridiculous how they spent money on things they absolutely didn't need at the expense of failing to pay 
their mortgage and losing, losing their home, which provided shelter for the two of them, and I, I think they had three young children. Three young children. When I watched that program, I thought, here is a case of two people overspending on a lot of unnecessary items. And if ever you see this program, you'll see, you'll see what I mean. It was a case, it was a case of lack of discipline with a lot of money. It's what it boiled down to. My friends, what aspect, what aspect of your life do you need and do I need to become more disciplined in? Is it in the area of, of prayer, in the area of attending Sunday school and church services each Sunday? Is it in the area of eating? Is it in the category of spending your money? Is it something else which I haven't even mentioned but God's Spirit has pointed it out to you? May the Lord help each one of us. May the Lord help each one of us to practice self-discipline. You know what? It takes discipline for all of us to remain committed to our Lord Jesus Christ. It takes discipline for us to keep our mind, our heart, to keep ourselves focused on Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And the example of Daniel inspires me, and I hope he inspires you to live a life of discipline, and especially to be disciplined in loving and serving our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what we're able to learn from Daniel. Thank you for the inspiration that he is certainly to me. Thank you, O oh God, for his example of faithfulness to you and refusing, refusing, refusing to bend, refusing to, to walk away from his faith, refusing to give up on his faith because, because of the pressures, because of the problems. Thank you for his great motivation for all of us to live committed to you and to live disciplined lives. Help each one of us, dear God, in whatever aspect of discipline, a disciplined life we need your help in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.